Hey guys, you're listening to Totally Stoked Podcast with Amelia Travis, yoga teacher and wild child turned multi-six-figure business coach, writer, speaker, and spiritual warrior. Totally Stoked is an experiment in radical honesty. On this show, there's only two rules, show up and tell the truth. Each week, we share uncensored, truth-telling, shame-busting conversations with thought leaders, entrepreneurs, visionaries, and modern-day mystics revealing their rise to thrive stories, current challenges, and sharing their most powerful tools for awakening, growth, and well-being. This is your place to let down your guard, open your heart, and remember that being human is a crazy, wild ride, but you don't have to do it alone. So buckle up, baby, because we're heading full speed ahead to radical self-love and a totally stoked life. Are you ready? Let's dive in. Welcome back to another episode of Totally Stoked Podcast. I am, as usual, super stoked to interview today's guest. She's a woman who is actively on the path that I have just recently found myself embarking upon. One of the prayers of my heart this past year was to kneel at the doorway of the great mystery of the divine feminine and ask to be an initiate. And in that request to be a novice, the divine has led me to people who are lighting the path and forging the way in the direction that I want to go. So my guest today trains women globally as a clinically trained intuitive guide and supports her students to increase their power to serve others by activating the archetypal energy of the priestess, the mystic, the leader. Her service to the world reminds women that we are infinite, unlimited, non-local divine consciousness. She holds a doctorate from the University of Melbourne in magical realism. She's an award-winning writer and author of best-selling Spiritually Fierce, which is a formula for an activated intuition. She's the principal of the Institute for Intuitive Intelligence, and she's here to activate and awaken the intuitive priestess in all of us. My friends, please welcome Ricky Jane Adams to the show. I feel like there should be applause. Yeah, <laughs> no. Oh. <laughs> what an introduction. Oh, I love that. Your energy is just magnificent, my darling. Thank you. I'm so personally, like I said, personally and selfishly excited for today's chat. One of the beautiful privileges of hosting this kind of digital media is being able to say, ooh, man, I would love to sit down for a chat with that person. Let me just see if I can get her on. And and you are one of those people for me where um, you know, as soon as I saw your programs and I actually found you through Catherine Plano, who was a guest on the show, um, a, a few weeks back. And I just felt the call because this word priestess has appeared in my life in the last year. And for the first time, didn't feel, um, like something that was forced or fake or, um, I don't know. I, I didn't have judgment around it that I maybe would have had in the past. And I, instead I, I had a deep, a deeply profound spiritual experience that really affirmed you are a priestess. And now I'm wondering what to do with that. <laughs> <laughs> so that's what I'd love to talk to you about today is the path, the path of the modern priestess. But first, because many of our listeners may be meeting you for the first time, just love to offer for you to introduce yourself and, and tell us who you are and, and why you're here. (sighs) 
what a question. And I love, I love that you have met the archetype of the priestess and now you're like, okay, now, now what are we going to do together? And, and I feel like that's been the journey for me. And, and I probably didn't have the language around it. I probably didn't understand um, what a priestess was for a lot of the journey of, of my spiritual awakening. Um, but it is now, there is a, there is a, a global awakening to this archetype and I think the work of women like Megan Watterson bringing the truth of Mary Magdalene into the world through her texts and um, many many others we, we're able to accept this archetype without fearing that it's um, too extreme or too radical um, for a contemporary woman to claim that she's a priestess without going down a lot of kind of ritualized ancient you know powerful but not not relevant to us practices does it mean I have to go and live in the south of France or I have to leave my family um, so I think it's it is not a surprise that you've had this visit and this awakening but but me okay what do I want to say about that I huh, I I have been on my path all of my life my mother was my first or is my my first spiritual teacher and of course that brings lots of really good things and also lots of great challenges um, and I think a lot of what I've created in the Institute has actually been um, in opposition to what I experienced through her brand of spirituality now I think uh, my mother's generation uh, as a woman who was one of the first to kind of be able to publicly speak about being spiritual without sort of being laughed at. Um, that was, they were like, that generation were like sort of cutting down the, the, the tree so that we could follow through on a much clearer path. But I found that whilst she was really devoted and doing her practices an amazing channel and so much incredible work she could offer, she wasn't meeting her own shit. Basically she was mm -hmm. sitting in her fear and I really couldn't, um, find peace with that so eventually I had a dark night of the soul and and really rejected her and rejected um, her faith and rejected God and rejected my faith and and turned my back on it all and I just wanted to be a muggle and you know live in the world without thinking about God or big spiritual ideas and um, it, it was really a turning point in her life that brought me home uh, to my faith and um, I can share that with you if you like. Is I would I love to hear what was her faith alignment and and then what was the dark night of the soul that had you reject that? Yeah I think I think seeing that she you know was so she was you know she was human and I, I couldn't really accept that I was wanting this kind of idealized spirituality that was you know if you are on this path then you will never struggle you will never suffer you will overcome your humanity and it was you know that is the absolute opposite of truth and so I guess I had to reach a point of humility for myself where I recognized that her frailties weren't the problem it was my judgment of her that was the problem um, and now for me if you were to define the priestess it is that word anthropos fully human fully defined fully divine and we are both things at the same time but I, I was walking one day and I was you know fully in my rejection of God at this point and I was being an academic at the university and I was you know in a relationship and having a babies and being just you know a human as much as I could and I I was really unhappy <laughs> like miserable and I was angry and I was medicated and I was being treated for anxiety and I just couldn't understand <clears throat> excuse me why 
if, you know, I'd rejected God and all the things that I thought were problematic about being on the spiritual path, why was I no longer, why was I not happy? I thought this was going to be the answer. You know, I'd been raised spiritual. I couldn't find my peace with that. So I was going to reject spirituality and be a human. I couldn't find my peace with that. Um, and it was, it was really uh, just a really low time. I was just constantly angry with everything. And then one day my mum called me as I was walking down by the creek near my house. And she said, I've been diagnosed with Alzheimer's. And in that instant, her life flashed before my eyes and I saw all of her frustrations and her failures and her doubts and her fears and never being able to turn her spirituality into her path of service, which is what she most wanted. And I said to her, we're going to go into business together. We're going to start an institute. And at the time it was called Lightworker Institute. We, we rebranded a little while after that. And, you know, that was, that was the return for me. And from that moment, I was turned back to my path. Um, a year later, I fired my mum <laughs> from that business. That's another story. Um, but it was the real recognition that if, if this life is finite and we only had a precious little bit of time, I was going to get over myself. And that was the beginning of my realisation that perhaps the truth is, and it is the truth for me, that it isn't about overcoming our humanity. It is about accepting our divinity and our humanity as one and equally valid and, and how to walk that path, which is the path of the priestess for me, which is to be both. So your mom <clears throat> identified as a priestess also as you were growing up. She never, she witch. never used that language. No, she, she is, by the way, I just need to add that it was a misdiagnosis. Um, thank God for her. Oh, fantastic. Um, yeah, really, really fantastic. And, um, you know, it turned out that she actually had depression, which is um, not surprising because there was all this unmet fear in her, um, which is what I'd kind of been so angry about is like, if you're spiritual, why are you not dealing with your shit and blah, 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 being the, you know, judgmental daughter. And it, it, yeah, so she never used that word priestess her path was was very much a classic spirituality and so my foundation was very much you know looking at the classic spiritual texts and deepening into the work of people like Jean Houston and Marion Williamson but Angelique was my mother was trained training herself to become a channel and that's really what her work um, has been for most of her life so she was channeling um you know, which is a concept that some people will feel comfortable with and some won't, but, but she was channeling great um, um, ascended masters and the brotherhood of light. And that was very normal to me. I grew up seeing that and witnessing that and, um, you know, not feeling afraid of that at all, but she never used the word priestess. That's something that's definitely come in, you know, through the last few years for me. So interesting. And I, I love that you acknowledge, you know, for some people, ascended masters or channeling that will bring a lot of fear. And I'll mm -hmm. share that personally, a few years back, my path was not being raised with any particular re religion, having quite liberal um, parents who are open to me exploring different faith traditions. My mom was a research psychologist and was, you know, equally interested in, uh, you know, the works of Jung as she was in, you know, Buddhism and Hinduism and different religious traditions and kind of said, whatever you want is fine. Just go study it all and learn it all. But later in life, I had a uh, spiritual experience that was a salvation experience. And I came into a relationship with Jesus that for many years was limited to what the Western Judeo-Christian tradition says 
faith is. And in that time, this idea around channeling and especially around channeling ascended masters would have really struck fear into my heart. And it may, may for some of you listeners, uh, because there is this, uh, this belief that anything that is in the metaphysical realm that is not you know, just uh, described in the Bible, it's just not allowed. And so therefore it's demonic, right? To me, this is hilarious because even the word demon, the root of that word is daemon. And I don't know if you know, but that word means inner guide, right? So as we move from paganism, as we move from earth-based spirituality, and I say we meaning the general Western hemisphere into, um, widely adopted Christianity, there are so many of these uh, elements of earth-based spirituality or of paganism or of the old ways, basically, that were then villainized or demonized, <laughs> to yeah. use that word again. Um, and that's kind of one of them. So I think where I land now is just a lot of openness and willingness to know that I don't know and that yes. my as my consciousness expands, many things that were scary to me, like Kundalini yoga, you know, or this idea of channeling become less scary. And I find that in general, on this little few little steps that I feel like I've taken on the path of the priestess, a lot of the work is in allowing your fear to be transmuted into just greater awareness and and really looking at why am i afraid of that and what's the trigger what's the conditioning but also in many of those things that we fear and for me kundalini yoga was one of them that i have since really dived into um it's been the most potent meditation practice and expansion practice that i've encountered so far yes so i say that because if you're listening and you are like Oh, scary. Um, examine that. Sit with it. Why does it frighten you? And is it because someone told you it should? Or is it because you have had a direct and personal experience? Um, and really allow yourself to witness if there's triggers in this whole conversation. I'll just say it now. Allow yourself to witness those and get really curious because, yeah. you know, curiosity will lead us to a lot of illumination. So you grew up watching your mom uh, channeling Ascended Masters, and it sounds like you grew up learning to be open, like open was just the natural way in your home. Yes. Yeah, absolutely. Spirituality was, there was never a block in me where I had to overcome cynicism or doubt because it was just so normal. It was, it was just who I was. What that meant though, is that I then had to go on a journey when I entered adulthood to discover what was true for me. Mm-hmm. And, you know, like any of us, if we're raised inside of a faith, I think we reach a point where we have to do that exploration. And that's really what I'm sort of getting at when I said I got angry with God because I could see that my mother's devotion wasn't bringing her peace. And I mm-hmm. thought, what's the point? What's the point of a spirituality that she's given her whole life to that isn't actually making her life better? And so I founded the Institute on exactly what we're talking about. Meet your fucking fear. Excuse my language. Oh, no, it's um, good. You know, we're explicit. It's fine. Okay, good. Yeah, there'll be a few more of those. If you're not doing the shadow work alongside the light work, then you've actually missed the point. And sitting with the shadow is actually the same as sitting with the light. It's simply our judgment of either good or bad that makes us think one is one and one is the other. 
And I would say that also with everything about channeling and everything else, you know, angel experiences or whatever you experience in Kundalini yoga or any of our spiritual experiences, our issue is that we're too literal with this stuff. We become really concretized and we, we're, we're dealing in a separation illusion, which is what most of us suffer from is this, this belief that we're separate and finite. So when I say channeling an ascended master, we might go into a literal idea that Jesus is sitting up there somewhere in the heavens, looking down on us and my mom or any other channel who's got access to that can kind of tap into that literal figure of Jesus sitting up in the sky. And it's got nothing to do with that. When we understand, you know, a big part of my work is teaching the cosmic laws or the immutable hermetic laws. The first law is the law of mentalism. All is one. And when we understand all is one and all is of the mind, we're beginning to understand that to channel or to experience an angel or to have a peak spiritual experience in, you know, in front of a guru, all of that is actually about you accessing the oneness that is our truth. So it's not about individualized. There is an identity, a historical figure called Jesus, who's now sitting somewhere where I can like call and get a hotline to that. It's tuning into the frequency or the energy, the archetype of the greatest healer the world has ever known and pouring that into me at the same time that I'm pulling it out of me. So it's, it's literally as within, so without the second immutable law is the law of correspondence. We deal in separation, however, so we don't understand that I am not that. So we're not thinking I am actually the same energy that Jesus is made from. Mm -hmm. And, you know, particularly if you're raised in a Christian ideology, this will be really confronting. But if we, you know, put Jesus aside, Kali or, you know, Saraswati or, um, you know, Bridget, it doesn't matter what energy we're talking about. These, these archetypal energies, these great master energies are an aspect of what we are because everything is one. There is no separation. So when I channel or I bring that energy forward from me, it is coming from within me because I am that I am, I am everything. I know I've kind of jumped into a, a bit of a rabbit hole here, but it's, it's really, to me, the, the, the greatest suffering we have in the world, in the Western world, is this belief in separation from one another, from our environment, from, from animals, from plants. Like we, we see everything as separate from us. And that goes for our spiritual experiences. It's like there's something external happening to us. But when we start to live in accordance with the laws, we begin to understand the truth, which is there is no separation. And in that we find to me, absolute peace. And that is the beginning of freedom. And that's the beginning of, of, you know, living in that state of bliss that is our birthright. I'm with you fully on the binary, the perception of the binary being the root of suffering. I think that's absolutely spot on. And one of the interesting opportunities that I've had with my own spiritual path is trying to reconcile these profoundly real visceral experiences with Jesus, with the, the Vedantic path that was, that actually predated my relationship with Jesus. Before Jesus, I was studying Vedanta and I was like, yeah, all roads lead to the mountaintop, all one, got it, check. The beautiful thing is Jesus actually taught that. He said, yes. I and my father are one. And guess what? So are you. And I now call you brothers. And 
and sisters and um, yes. greater things than these you will do. And he was very clear, I think, about what he was teaching, but we, we don't, uh, a lot of people will just agree with me on that and that's fine. A lot of people say you're a heretic and that's fine. And that brings me to something that I'm, I'm just gen genuinely curious about for myself. Have you experienced pushback, criticism, or have you ever um, felt attacked for, for your ideology and for the teachings that you're expounding to the world? Or have you, has it just all been smooth sailing for you as you <laughs> of the modern priesthood? I think if it's all smooth sailing, you're not doing it right. Because, you know, to be spiritual to me is to be radical. Um, you know, to be spiritual in the Western world right now is a radical act. It's revolutionary. And, you know, the great mystic Caroline Mace actually says that if we have the freedom to pursue our soul in this world, um, then we are privileged to the point where we have to be radical about that. And we have to be revolutionary. We have to be unafraid to, to say the things that are um, not being said and you know my work is you know the deep deep work of a deep faith that goes beyond many of the trinkets and superstitions of the new age there's a lot of retail spirituality available in the world right now which is really just to soothe and comfort us not to actually take us to the coalface of meeting our demons and or you know and demons as well and and actually becoming um whole and holy and so i think that if i wasn't being challenged some of the time i i would feel like i was failing so I never feel criticized, however, I feel like I'm, my job is to open a window to something that has been closed down in many people's minds and that it's not meant to be um, my job to be liked. My job is not to be approved of and liked because I consider any of us who are genuinely doing the deep work, we are leaders. And we're leading a revolution of awakening consciousness. And therefore, a leader can't look around for confirmation from others to say, hey, you're doing a really good job, um, because that means you're actually just part of the pack. And that's not my job. That's not my place. And so, yeah, I speak a lot about things. You know, for example, I completely um, disagree with the idea of empaths and highly sensitive people. And I've got information. You know, I've got a reason why. I don't just say it to be inflammatory. I also don't believe in energetic protection. And I don't believe that there are negative entities and that we can be harmed and these things cause people to go into fear because those belief systems are like a religion to them and they you know very often we leave a religion to become part of a spirituality which is just replacing one dogma with another you know god it has no place in those man-made beliefs any of them you know Jesus wasn't a Christian. Like it's, it's so ridiculous how we get so um, defensive of these ideologies, which have nothing to do with truth. Um, so I feel like it's actually, uh, yes, I have been challenged and I will probably continue to be challenged, but my job is to be good with God. Like, am I, am I doing God's work in the world? And even that word I know is gonna be a trigger for some people. For me, it means infinite unlimited consciousness. Um, but if I'm good with God, then I'm not worried about what other people are saying or, or judging me for. Hmm. What do I want to ask you about <laughs> first after that? Okay. So I'm, I, I love that you said my job is not to be approved of and liked. And I agree that in this revolution of awakening consciousness, you have to be a leader and that being a leader is about serving and not about being understood. Um, and I, I agree with that. I think that I'm very curious. I can't pass it up. 
you disagree with the idea that there are people who are highly sensitive or empathic. Why? <laughs> <laughs> well, I actually believe that, that there are people who are highly sensitive and empathic, but there's 7 billion of them. Mm-hmm. So all of us are. And to claim that as a special or kind of, you know, exclusive category that makes you either more something or less something is ridiculous. It's, it's actually just science. Our biology is that we are electromagnetic beings producing Mm -hmm. a field and everything is producing a field. So when we are aware and a difference is awareness, it's not, am I highly sensitive and empathic? It's how aware of, am I of that? You know, we move into the fields of everything around us as we, you know, physically move through people's, um, you know, space, and we're picking up information all of the time. The problem that we have is that we don't have a paradigm for accepting non-local information is as valid as what we receive through our dominant five senses. So we, this is not woo-woo, this is not spiritual, this is science. We are, yeah. we are electromagnetic beings. So to claim that as a reason why you can't function in the world or you get to have a special category or, or like you're you're, I don't know, like it's like, it is just spiritual bullshit. It's actually egoic in in the extreme. And it's part of this separation mentality that I'm somehow better than that person. And this is the inference, even if it's the reason you can't leave the house because you're so sensitive to everyone else. The inference is it's because you are superior. So there's a great deal of judgment, you know, where there's separation, there's judgment. And to me, it's a very dangerous conversation, but it gives people an out from participating in the world. And that is the opposite of the priestess, by the way. The priestess is in the world. Her service is in the world. And when we have these kind of special spiritual categories that mean that we don't have to fully function or participate because we're so something or other, we're, it's, a, it's a bypass. It's an opt-out. And it's dangerous. And it's, it's denying the actual scientific truth of the way that we share information just because that's our biology. I am so excited that you shared this. I recently had the opportunity to listen to an incredible talk about uh, epigenetics and kundalini yoga. And one of the things that the speaker was sharing about is there is a scientist named Donald Glazer, and he had an experiment called the bubble chamber. And this experiment that was done, I think, in the 1960s, and but, but he basically proved that we are appearing and disappearing at a rate of one to the like mm-hmm. 10 trillion million whatever yeah. well what's so fascinating to me is siddhartha gotama the buddha said the exact same thing he yes. came out of a deep meditation and he said we're disappearing and we're, we're disappearing and reappearing trillions of times every second yes. right so he received from this non-local consciousness awareness of the same thing of what somebody was is you know centuries later uh, affirming scientifically. Yes, and the and same that, talk. Go Max ahead. Max Planck is also Planck time also states that. So Max Planck is the person, the first person to speak about the quantum field, mm-hmm. and he Planck time is exactly that: ten to the power of thirty-four times mm-hmm. per second. We mm-hmm. are flashing in and out of form. Mm-hmm. That's so, I get chills as I think about it. The other beautiful thing that she shared, which came as you were speaking, was 
she walked us through a heart-brain coherence exercise. Mm -hmm. And and the way that the energy shifted in the room as 40 people Mm -hmm. made this connection between mind, heart, and then a memory of joy, a memory of wonder, a memory of compassion. Yeah. It, it, you, could, you could feel it. I think everybody could feel it. Um, but what was happening was this, I believe, activation and expansion of each person's electromagnetic field with a particular vibration and the vibration being that focus. Um, and and this woman who was giving this talk spent 14 years studying epigenetics at Oxford University. And mm-hmm. she received an Einstein visa to the United States to do work uh, in, in research. And her research has shown that through epigenetics, through uh, we can actually change our gene expression to do things like reverse Alzheimer's, to do things like um, complete, to, to, to heal ancestral trauma, which is one of these things that you hear and then in the you know new age world and like what, what does that even mean right it means that in your gene expression you might be carrying a fear of let's say water right and there doesn't seem to be any any reason in this life that mm-hmm. you would have that fear but perhaps it was a very real and necessary fear for somebody in your genetic line and that is something that we carry within us so i love that you're talking about this intersection of science and spirituality and, and daring to say, this is not woo, and that word doesn't really help anything because um, everything is, I'm going to put it in air quotes, everything is woo before we yes. can verify it scientifically. And even science in and of itself is, is all experimentation, right? It yes. all starts with a thought vibration, with an idea that here's this thing that could be true. Now let's look for evidence of it. And the interesting thing about that is the observer effect. So in quantum physics, we understand that something actually can't be seen until we're expecting it. So it starts, and I'm pointing to my head, it starts up here. So this is affirming, as you said, the law of mentalism, that all is one and all is of the mind. And whatever we're seeing, whatever whatever we're seeing and whether you call it Maya or Leela, the divine play and the cosmic illusion, or you just, you call it the quantum field, like it all is starting and ending with consciousness, yeah. right? Yeah. So you're teaching people this and you're teaching it in a way that I, I'm going to throw a compliment out there. As I looked at your website, I went, wow, this really does look like a school, like, and I think it's because it is, <laughs> you know what I mean? I was like, wow, it looks really professional. But I love that because I think you're changing the perception of, of a field that really needs that change, right? I think yes. for the next wave of healing yes, globally, and, and I mean, it's, there's no difference between globally and in inwardly in each of us, but for that next wave of healing, we, we really this is the direction that we need to move. And so I feel like you're a pioneer in that area. Um, And I think it's going to be the same answer for why you don't believe in energetic protection or negative entities and that we can be harmed. And that is that there's nothing that's outside of ourselves. But is there more that you'd like to share on that? Because for those who do believe in, even Mm -hmm. in my Hatha yoga, one of my first teacher trainings many, many years ago, my 
teacher, Swami Sita Ramananda said, you know, there are many different astral planes. And in these different astral planes, there are different astral entities. And some of those entities are of a higher vibration. And some of those entities are of a lower vibration, which doesn't necessarily mean negative. But the correlation that I drew at that time was, yeah, she's talking about angels and demons. You know what I mean? Yeah. It's the same yeah. thing. But I'd love to hear what, what you have to say about that in the perception that, that there are no negative ones and that we can't be harmed. And is, if that's just about our sovereignty or if that's about the interconnection or yeah. Where do you get away with saying that? <laughs> well, it's really fascinating because it challenges people perhaps more than anything that I share. And I think this is because we really, really, really like the idea that if we have a crystal or we put a crystal grid in our office or under our bed or we buy this special potion or something that somehow we can prevent anything bad ever happening to us. And, and you know, it's a lovely kind of, um, well, it's a superstition. It's, a, you know, the same thing as chucking salt over your shoulder. You know, they, they, they belong to lots of different cultures and religions. They're, they're ways that we believe we've, we can exert some control over our feelings of being out of control of our fate. The truth of it is, we go to the third law. So we've got the, the law of mentalism, all is one. The second law, the law of correspondence, as within, so without. The third law is the law of vibration. Everything is but a vibration. And so I absolutely agree with your teacher. You know, there are there are layers of, of, of different consciousness, if you like. If we look at it like strata of the, of the earth, my task for the women I train as contemporary priestesses is to attune to the highest possible vibration. In the quantum field, every possibility exists. This is what we understand from the, once again, from the um, uh, double slit experiment that you referenced, is that, that every, the atom takes every possible path between point A and point B to arrive at point B, which means every possibility exists. So how do I determine what I experience or draw down from the field? Well, that is actually my vibration because everything is but a vibration. Consciousness is not matter, it is vibration. And I am totally free to tune into whatever frequency I like, like tuning the radio station. I can tune into country and Western, or I can tune into classical music, or I can, you know, I, there's a little hierarchy there. Did you feel my judgment around country music? I didn't mean to be judgmental about country music. But if I am, you know, my job is to train women to know that they can choose to attune to the highest possible frequency, which I would call the God mind or that, that absolute state of, of being with our holiness. Mm -hmm. And all those other possibilities then collapse, like they, 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 they disappear. And I collapse the highest possibility into, into truth, which is when I hold my vibration through my devotion, through my discipline, through my commitment to every damn day meeting my fear, then I am not going to be vulnerable to someone's bad mood or the potential, if you believe in it, that there are negative entities or thought forms or things that, that could cause me harm, demons to use the language you're using. It is simply not possible. But this is not an easy thing. This isn't like I'm just going to attune to the highest vibration. This is where you're, you have to become congruent between your faith and your actions in the world. You can't say all these nice things, practice your meditation and then go out and be an asshole and expect your vibration to be at its highest point. You have to live your faith. So living your faith is, in my opinion, the most potent form of energetic protection we have. But it also requires that we question every fear-based belief. So why do we teach people energetic protection? Because someone taught us that. And, and so these lineages of teaching where we teach, you have to put yourself in a bubble, you have to build the grid, you have to you know, cleanse yourself in case someone's bad juju has attached itself to you. This is all just inherited 
repetition. No one stopped to say, is that true? Like, actually, is that true? And when you do stop to question it and you look to the laws and you look to the science and you recognize that everything is pure consciousness, not matter, um, that consciousness is a priori to matter, then all I need to do is correct my perception, which is to change my vibration. And I'm able to hold a different potential and draw down a different possibility from the field. So my task is not to buy into borrowed belief systems, but actually to recognize that whatever I believe is collapsing the wave function, bringing it into matter, and I can choose to believe something different to that fear-based reality. It's overcoming the belief in separation. If I see someone as bad outside of me, separate to me, then I am going to lower my vibration through judgment and buy into that fear paradigm. I know I've shared a lot there, but I want to talk about the practicalities of, well, what do you do if someone is around you and they're not, you know, vibing with you, they're causing you harm or they're, they're not a good match, you know, cause that's the other side of it. But I just want to see if you want to add anything there before I do that. I think what I want to add is going to segue perfectly to what you want to speak on. So as you were speaking, I recalled two memories distinctly. One was in the period after I had recently accepted Jesus as my savior, and I was um, involved in intimate relationships with a few different men. There was an encounter that was uh, essentially like a group sex encounter that was really low vibration in terms of like a lot of drugs, a lot of cocaine, a lot of, it was just yucky. You'll put it that way. It was just yucky. Yeah. And I was really internalizing that yuckiness right yeah. and i mean and also let, let me just say that i had taken some opiates and opiates do tend to have a side effect of bad dreams but that night i was trapped in a dream and it was one of the most real experiences i've ever had and i was trapped in the dream by a figure that i would call a demonic figure mm -hmm. it was a shadowy figure with a long cape and red eyes that looked like mm -hmm. a snake and it held me um, if you've ever heard the terms incubus or succubus, it, I, I felt I was sleep paralysis. So I was unable to move a very strong sense of fear. And that dream repeated itself seven times um, where I would perceive myself to be waking up. I would think, oh, thank goodness it's over. And then the figure would come in again and stand at the foot of the bed and hold me in this paralysis. And towards the sixth or seventh round of that dream, I was able to see through the doorway and, and you know the dream landscape often looks different from our, our real landscape but in this particular dream it was identical it looked exactly yeah. like the actual room that i was in and i was able to see through the door to a kitchen and in the kid kitchen were these figures that were human-like figures but they were kind of wraiths and they were contorting and they were involved in a group sex dynamic and they were tortured souls and i could see that in them and it wasn't until in that dream that i called on I called on Jesus as, as a savior and really, really meant it. Like the first six times I didn't really mean it. Right. And the seventh time it was, it was almost like a turning point in my faith stance at that time where I really surrendered myself to this great healer and to this, to this protection of this great healer. And that's when I actually awoke. And interestingly, right after I went into the and the, the difference that i knew that i was actually awake was a i could move and b the light was on in the living room and so i went towards the light and i opened my bible which was the natural thing to do at that time where i was in my faith walk and it opened it to ephesians 
five and six, which is a scripture about putting on the full armor of God. And I, it was a hookum, you know, it was a divine message that I just flipped right open to. It wasn't intentional. And I read this message that said, you know, once you were in darkness, but now you're light in the Lord. So I, I received this very powerful teaching from this experience of an encounter with a negative entity. Flash forward years later, I was teaching the intersection of Christian theology and yoga philosophy in a 200-hour training called Spirit-Led Yoga. During that three-week period, I had experiences like someone pulling up in the car next to me on the road and their tongue sticking out like Kali and their eyes completely black. I had a, a girl who was in my training have what some might call a, you know, a psychotic break and what others might call a demonic manifestation, but writhing and growling and spitting and hissing on the floor of my hotel room. And that was very real. And I was very much there mm -hmm. to witness it. What I can see now is that the vibration that I was in, in both of those periods was one that was very much perceiving good and evil, was very much perceiving and expecting and looking for demons. Yeah. And there they were. Yes. So I would love to hear wherever you were going to go with that, but, it, but it, it's interesting to look at it now and say, well, you haven't seen any of that stuff lately. And why is that? And well, the last year has been me reclaiming my sovereignty and restoring the mantle of my power when it comes to spiritual agency and authority and embracing the shadow as an integral part of the whole and really, and my own wholeness, right? And you said this, our, our job, our, our task that we're seeking after is becoming whole and holy, right? Yes. Um, so does that align for you in, in my, what I'm understanding from that? It's like, I saw it because I was expecting it. Absolutely. In the simplest possible terms, you've now changed the radio station that you're tuning into. You're choosing a different frequency. Well, that station sucked, man. <laughs> <laughs> it's like the country music of spirituality. No offense to yeah, country. God bless lovers. everybody who loves that. Yeah. Yeah. You're absolutely right. And look, the thing is that if you believe it, because consciousness creates matter, you will create it. So mm. for me to say these things don't exist is not accurate. What I'm saying is you get to choose what you tune into. Ultimately, when we return to holiness and to that God mind, we will recognize as A Course in Miracles tells us that we are asleep in God's arms, dreaming of exile, but perfectly capable of awakening to reality. And what we do with playing in these lower vibrations is, you know what I think happens, my darling, is that a lot of people like to experience that even though it's horrible because it's mm -hmm. evidence that there is something bigger than ourselves Absolutely. so it's sort of very often an awakening point for people because they recognize that it's not just what we're perceiving through our dominant senses what we don't get told is that we do have a choice about what we what frequency we tune into and that we are not vulnerable to that which we do not permit into our field, into our frequency. So it's, it's not that these things are existing and we're just waiting for the time that they're going to come and get us. It's absolutely, they do not exist in my world because there is no invitation. There's no place. There's no vibrational match uh, between that frequency and myself. Now, the bigger truth of this all is that in my conception, this entire life that we're having is a dream. It is a beautiful dream. It's a nightmare for some, but it's, it is nothing more than the dream that you were having, which was a profound initiation, but it was still a dream. You knew that ultimately you would awaken from it. We are in a dream 
that dream is what Caroline Mace calls Earth School. It is a place where we come to train our consciousness. And anything that happens in the dream is no more real than what happens in our dreams, our actual dreams, or if you like a computer simulation. When we're playing a video game, you know, we don't kind of, you know, say to our kids, hey, you hop off that video game now because the, the bad guys are really gonna come out of the screen and get you. We know the difference between a computer game and reality. And what we have forgotten in our sleep state, which is what we're, we, you know, we're waking up from that sleep, that slumber, is the truth that this is purely a place for us to train ourselves to remember that we are infinite, unlimited consciousness. So anything that occurs in the dream, just as you experienced in your um, visitation, that, that seven cycles of awakening, mm -hmm. is within your control once you get to the point where your consciousness is aware enough to know that it can manipulate or change the outcome with, <clears throat> excuse me, awareness. Like your awakening consciousness is what awoke you from the dream. And that is such a powerful metaphor uh, for what we're doing in earth school. It isn't real, but that is actually gonna cause people to a lot of the time be afraid because everything that we are told and shown is that our meaning, our purpose is about what we find in the dream. Mm -hmm. And I'm saying your purpose is to awaken from the dream, mm -hmm. not so that you lose the dream to, to awaken is not to suddenly die or, or withdraw from the dream, but so that you then participate in the dream with this absolute joy, this absolute truth that I can actually create whatever I want now, now that I have this awareness and that I'm not just doing that for myself but I can actually then be that force for good in that path of sacred service for everybody. This is the end of judgment because exactly as we say, so I sit with the demon and I sit with the angel and I, I see them both as equal. I see them both as everything in the dream is serving my awakening, everything. You know, those nightmarish experiences that you had were serving you just as much as your peak experiences of being, you know, held by Jesus. It all woke you up, baby. And that is the point. Everything is serving our awakening. I love that you said that. That exact statement is what has really been my dearest mantra for the last year. Everything is an instrument of my awakening. And that's yes. what I've, I've reminded myself over and over. I want to take a moment and talk about privilege and especially the white privilege of being, you know, a white female on this spiritual path. And and I don't know your upbringing or your socioeconomic status or anything like that, but I do think it's important to acknowledge that as we speak about um, being able to create your reality by expanding self-awareness and by up-leveling your consciousness, you know, I want to be sensitive to the people who are living in a different um, field of opportunity or perceived opportunity than we are, right? Because as we say that, you know, you have um, essentially unlimited realities or all possible realities are unfolding at the same time for the, um, for the person who's currently in great suffering, whatever that suffering is, or the person who's currently experiencing oppression, whatever that oppression is, I think sometimes we can hear what you and I are talking about and we can receive it as that means I really fucked up then because if I if look what's manifesting around me then that means that what I asked for this or I chose mm -hmm. this or or 
I deserve this somehow because this is what I'm seeing. So can you speak to that a little bit um, in whatever way comes through for you? How can we be sensitive to people and their experiences of suffering as we say that you're essentially creating your own reality? Yes, absolutely. And I, I love that you've asked that. It's very important to me to speak to this because there is a lot of uh, white woman privileged middle class uh, spirituality that based on you know a very superficial understanding of things like the law of attraction which is trying to tell us that this is a literal you know you're being rewarded by god because you know you've got all this stuff like what about exactly as you say your socioeconomic situation your race you know your culture your religion your you know all of those different factors that will determine how people respond to you so for me, what is important to understand that when I'm talking about this, that we go back to the first law, the law of mentalism, all is one. There is only one of us here. So while any of my brothers and sisters are in suffering, and I, if I'm claiming I'm free and they're in suffering, then I actually haven't done my job. Um, there, the more free that I am, the more freedom that I am given in this lifetime by, by accident of my birth, the more responsibility I have to take to be a... Uh, an emissary on on you know for those who do not have the privilege of freedom you know it is a privilege to pursue the spiritual path it's a fucking privilege to be having this conversation um you know to to not be in danger of persecution because of your beliefs and to be able to to access the world and speak freely about whatever you want without that fear so for me, this has really come to light through the work of um, Leila Saad. And last year or the year before, I um, did her online Instagram challenge of me and white supremacy mm -hmm. and unpacking my white supremacy and my white privilege. And what I came to understand from that, in fact, I, I have a book. I pulled it from sale. I rewrote it. I wrote a whole new chapter um, dedicated to my understanding and my acknowledgement that I had been in a whitewashed reality and that I, um, despite having lived all over the world and being an expat kid and, and all of those things, there, there was an inherited subconscious uh, privilege program running of unconscious biases. And my task as a free spiritual white woman with self-awareness is to apply my spiritual understanding to, to heal the the brokenness, the illusion of separation in the world. It is my job because I was gifted freedom where others have not been born into that freedom. So it is absolutely this idea. Not one of us is getting into heaven. It's not like I can get there and everybody in my little community has got what they need and I got a bigger TV and a bigger car and a better this, whilst anybody is denied that freedom. So I see it as, as there is a collective consciousness, the, the one mind, that that collective consciousness is what I am here to heal. It isn't just my individual consciousness, because in truth, there isn't an individual consciousness. Mm -hmm. So my work doesn't stop until I have... I have contributed what I can every damn day. But I do that by recognizing that there is only one of us here. So I have, I can't go out and be angry at the people who, you know, created apartheid and the people who, you know, are the one percent and all of that. My job is to go within and meet that shadow within me. Where am I enacting those, those violences? Um, and to, you know, and not just in the world, but inside of my subconscious and to heal that. And then I take action in the world. This is the path of the priestess. And in fact, the whole chapter, the new chapter in here is, is called Beyond a Superficial Spirituality Towards the Path of the Priestess, because she's in the world. This is what I, you know, to, to bring our spirituality 
into the world means we stop bypassing other people's experiences. We stop claiming that you just, you've obviously had, you know, I remember it happens in all religions, being in the park one day with my son and I was a single mother and, and this old Indian man started talking to me and, and he, you know, was asking me about my life and, and I told him I was a single parent and he said, it's your karma. You did bad things in your past life. You're being punished now. I'm like, I fucking love my life. Thank you very much. <laughs> but it was, it was based on his perception of what a good life and a bad life was. So these ideas of, of, um, you know, exist in every religion and every faith, but in contemporary uh, white woman spirituality, there is a lot of that if you want to have this seven figure business, then you get to have it just by, you know, holding the law of attraction and doing this. And it's bullshit. It's, it's so much about um, taking the very superficial trinkets and superstitions of faith and trying to move furniture in a burning building. And that's, that's really that idea that, that this is a dream this life is a dream, a necessary dream, but a dream. And you getting a bigger house, a bigger car and a, a bigger client, you know, load doesn't bring you any closer to God. It doesn't make you more worthy. Um, and I think we measure spiritual success very often in terms of material gain. And it's, yeah, I'm, I'm ranting, but I feel very passionate love about it. it. I love it. I'm here for it. You know, our job is to turn our spirituality towards the world and to say where I see inequity, where I see violence, where I see harm, I bring my holy rage. And that holy rage is about burning away whatever it is within me that is permitting that external reality to exist. Because there's only one of us here. I am that. I am that. Thank you for that. That was one of the most eloquent uh expoundings on that subject that i've heard and i think really deeply true so thank you for that i think we would be remiss if we did not provide listeners with some tangible access to um to their own initiation if we can so what i mean by that is um you, ha- you are the principal of an institute for intuitive intelligence, and you're teaching people about how to understand these laws and about how to change their own vibration and about how to awaken and expand their own self-awareness and expand their own consciousness. Um, and you talked about, you know, sitting with the light and the shadow, sitting with the angel and the demon and, 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 and really witnessing yourself so many women that I work with and even myself feel like we don't know how we don't know how we don't know, which I think is bullshit. I think we do know how, but I think we've covered it up with wounding with trauma and with, um, you know, distractions and with sense perceptions and with, you know, coping mechanisms, and all kinds of things. But I even fall into this, um, fog of my own, wound and my own trauma, which sometimes tells me, I don't know how, I don't know how to look at the wound. I don't know how to look at the shadow. I don't know how to, what book do I need to read or who do I need to learn from or where do I need to go? And by the way, you can go to the Institute of Intuitive Intelligence, but, but before they sign up for, for your program and, and, and I'm deeply curious about it myself, but what can they do right now? What can we do right now to start to meet our own shadow and to start to experience the truth of these three cosmic laws in our daily life 
Is there a practice? Is there something you can give us that we can actually do? Yeah. Even though yes. it's all, all, all actually all about being and not doing, but tell us the doing that will get us to the being. To the being, exactly. You gotta, you gotta do the do to get to the being. Yes, I actually have a very simple practice that I developed called the micro method. And it's on the Insight Timer. Um, if you have that mm-hmm. app, it's a free, I, I don't know if Insight Timer is free everywhere. It's free in Australia, but- It used it, to be free. It may <laughs> still be free, but we can link it in the show yeah. notes. And find but out. I can also share a non-Insight Timer version. And it's a, it's a, a very simple guided practice, very deceptively simple, like so many of these things are. Our first and only task is to sit with the illusion and the illusion is fear. So if all is of the one mind and that mind is God's mind, all is love. So anything that isn't love is fear. And fear is uh, a friendly ally. So we need to change our mind about fear. So you're absolutely right. We cover everything up with addiction, with the addiction to other people's approval or to, you know, we use food, we use relationships, we use, um, you know, all sorts of substances. But effectively, that addiction is abdicating personal responsibility. I can't handle this. It's outside of me. It's too big. So we need to get comfortable with getting uncomfortable. So the very first thing that we do and the only spiritual practice to me that matters is can you sit with the discomfort of your fear and get curious about it? And so in this practice, you simply, you know, you might wake up just with a low level anxiety, which you wake up with every morning, but today you're not just going to get up and bypass it. You're actually going to sit with it or you look over and your partner's left their socks on the ground again and you're like just you know rage overtakes you and and instead of just moving on and maybe being passive aggressive with that person all day or whatever you know coping mechanism you have you're actually going to sit with the discomfort i'm looking at the socks i'm feeling the rage let's get curious about that we go into a guided practice where you change your breathing close down the eyes move out of that um, beta brainwave state expand into alpha so that you've got access to your intuitive knowing And you simply ask the question, what's beneath that superficial fear? Like that superficial trigger of the socks or the low level anxiety, what's deeper than that? And because we've moved into a state where our intuition is able to be received, because running around in a you know, fight or flight response, which is how we are most of the day, you can't see, feel, hear, or know your intuition. Even within a few breaths, however, you can move into that highly receptive state. And the answer will come in like a flash, a word, a feeling, um, you know, fear of abandonment. So let's take that example of socks on the floor. I never tell my partner what I need, which is you need to do your, your you know, fair share of the housework because of my fear of abandonment. If I speak my truth, that person's going to go, well, fuck you, I'm leaving. And mm-hmm. so we irrationally accept that. But what we do is then become passive aggressive and we'd be a mean person, which is probably more likely to be the reason they would leave us. <laughs> And we never deal with our fear of abandonment. We keep projecting it onto this other person and we imagine that them and their socks are the problem. So I'm using a silly example, but you get what I'm saying. Mm -hmm. So you sit with that fear of abandonment and you sit with the discomfort of that. Okay, fuck. So beneath all of my passive aggressive trying to control this person, what I'm actually saying is I'm terrified of being abandoned by you. And ultimately the truth is being abandoned by God because that is a primal fear in all of us. And I'm going to sit with that. And then we actually draw on a practice that you referenced earlier that the teacher you mentioned at the Kundalini um, workshop, which is from uh, drawn from the work of HeartMath Institute, which is creating that uh, neural superhighway between the heart brain and the cranial brain. And we actually go into a state of heart coherence and we actually elevate our vibration by 
holding in our minds something that brings us joy, something really simple, cup of coffee, smile mm -hmm. from a beautiful stranger. It has to be simple because we make emotions complex. And you do that for three minutes. And then you come out of that. And um, I, I apologize, I missed a step where you actually rate the intensity of that fear on a scale of one to 10. And you rate that fear again, having come out of that. So all you're doing, you're not trying to fix the problem. You're not trying to find the original person who abandoned you. You're not going back through all of your memories to look for all the times you've been hurt. You're choosing to sit with the fear and, and change your vibration at the same time so that you're actually creating, um, if you like, a neutralization of, those, um, of, the, of the memory or of that subconscious program. And we can, we're not going to go into it, but understanding how neuropeptides work and how we're actually able to, with epigenetics, we're doing an epigenetic reprogramming mm -hmm. and we're actually cultivating a vibration that is going to then encode your cells and encode every part of you with a, a higher truth and if you experience that emotion above two again you just go back into that practice of holding the highest vibration by holding a, a, a fond memory or feeling state and with time this becomes you know for the women who I train just vital and we often pair it with tapping. We'll use tapping, which is a very powerful epigenetic to kind of keep moving that through. But what you're doing is the opposite of what we do. You're running towards your fear and you're sitting with that fear as a friendly ally. You've shown up to show me I've forgotten my truth. I'm very excited to see you today. And when fear comes up, we're like, yes, awesome. Okay, what am I going to learn about myself right now? And, you know, there is no top of the mountain. There's no point where fear stops rising because we're doing this for the collective. So every time you meet an individual fear, you're actually sending ripples in the field, this unified field of consciousness, and you're freeing everybody else. So if you are angry about injustice and inequality and the harm that are being done to marginalized minority communities, meet your own fucking fear. Get real with the fact that there's only one of us here. And then, you know, you may need to take inspired action in the world. But the first step is to go within. If you try to bypass that and tell everybody else how to live, you're, you're basically breaking the law. Ricky, bring <laughs> the heat. Oh my goodness. Thank you so much for that. That is, that is a really potent practice and one that, uh, I, I'm excited to try it myself and it, it really aligns with, um, the practice of Satnam Rasayan, which is a healing practice from Kundalini Yoga that involves same, very similar thing going into shunya which is deep listening but basically dropping into what you called you know the alpha brainwave state and then heart brain coherence and it's a little different satnam rasayan involves releasing and allowing and not actually trying to make any identification but it really excites me when i hear the parallels between different healing modalities that ultimately all reside in the same truth right? Yes. They all reside in the same vibration, the same truth. When you hear you truth, know. you'll hear it again and again and again. Like that's the thing about truth is that like Buddha was saying what quantum physics is saying mm -hmm. now, it's, you know, mm -hmm. truth is eternal and it doesn't, it's not trendy mm -hmm. and it won't change. And there's all paths will lead you back to that ultimately. So I could hang out with you for a really long time, but I know we're, we're trying to keep the episode to under an hour. One thing I wanted to ask you about, um, when you identify a specific wound in the collective that you know is part of your calling. Uh, for me, I recently had the experience within an entheogenic meditation. I specifically went out to Joshua Tree uh, with my 
inner circle of women who I knew could hold me in a process of unraveling and unbecoming so that I could heal some sexual trauma, sexual wound of sexual violence in my life and uh, had the opportunity to uh, use the plant medicine of mushrooms to go into a very deep state where I was actually able to witness the wound of sexual violence in my life, which was so much bigger. Well, of course, because it's not in my life. It's not the wound in me. It's the wound in the collective. But the, the experience that I had in that state and that meditation aligned with what you're saying in that as I experienced the wound in myself, all of a sudden it was no longer myself. And I witnessed it in different people across time and locations. And there was this well of grief in me that was bigger and deeper and wider than anything I'd ever encountered before. And, and uh, it really felt like I, I thankfully had a guide, a dear friend of mine who um, is a very gifted healer who was able to walk with me into the dark. But when I came out of this meditation, I knew that the call on my life here forward is to work on healing this wound of sexual violence, which includes also gender violence, which includes also any kind of oppression in which someone's voice is taken from them, which someone's life force is taken from them. The assault is not just on the body, but it's on, it's on our freedom to have our life force. Um, and it was in that meditation that I made this commitment to kneel at the doorway of the mystery of the divine feminine and to ask for the women who could, who had gone before me to show up so that I could learn from them. And I know now that you're one of them. So I'm very thankful that I got to speak mm -hmm. with you today and that I'll get to hopefully work with you further in the future. When you, and it sounds like you always had some awareness of it, but when you really accepted that your task in this incarnation, in this life is to um, serve, serve women and serve the world, how did you, and, and maybe it's what you just taught me, but how did you get over the egoic defense mechanism that says, who am I to do that? Mm -hmm. Because it keeps yeah. popping up, you know yeah. what I mean? It's like, you know, there will be this new offering or this way of, you know, this opportunity or this, this, there's this weird intersection of ego and, and, and it's like, even if I know something is for, is part of my path of service, the ego comes in and says, you're not good enough to do that. Who are you? Mm -hmm. Who are you to write that book? Who are you to host that event? Who are you to speak mm -hmm. on that stage? Who are you to help these people. And it's annoying, Ricky. It is. <laughs> so. and it's, it's a very, it's a trick of the ego. It's a very common archetypal fear, but I would ask you, my darling, who are you not to? Who are you to say no to God? You know, you've been, you, it's not about you. And the answer to that question is humility. Get over yourself. It's not about you. And it's not about me. And the second I start thinking it's about me, I become a guru. We know the guru culture largely is coming to its end because it was all about 
unfortunately, people thinking that the power that God had invested in them was about them being special. Mm-hmm. You know, we, when I teach leadership, I teach it from the, this formula of, of humility, which leads to grace, which leads to power. And the power that we receive into us is, is the full acceptance that my only power is God's power. And then I stop thinking that I have anything to do with this. And I get down on my knees in gratitude. And some days I get down on my knees in absolute terror and fear and overwhelm, but I am always on my knees in humility because the second I'm out of humility, which is effectively to meet your fear every damn day, I get up in my ego and I'm either, I'm the shit, I'm the reason this is happening or, oh, I can't do it. One of two options, yeah? Women tend to go towards the latter. Um, But it is absolutely about getting over ourselves. Like, put down your need to whatever it is that you're trying to achieve and recognize that you've been gifted, granted a purpose. And people are running around crazy to find their purpose. They're desperate to know their purpose. Everyone's purpose is the same, so that's easy. We're here to awaken to the truth that we're God. (laughs) But you've been given a you've been given a, a contract or a commission by God. Who are you to say no to that? And just keep remembering that you are denying all of those who are waiting for you to step into your leadership the freedom that that you will bring to them. And I have another meditation I'd love for you to share with your listeners called the it's called the client attraction meditation. But in truth, what you do is you open your light so that those you are meant to serve in this lifetime can find you. And every woman pretty much who comes into my program to train as a contemporary priestess says, I don't know how I found you, but I did. And I'm like, I know how you found me. (laughs) I just got the fuck out of the way and I let God lead and I got over myself. You know, this isn't about me and it's not about you, but if you don't do it, you are keeping everyone else who you are meant to serve in the prison of their own fear. Like, don't, don't be that asshole. Like, Mm. just do the work. (laughs) okay (laughs) i won't be the asshole oh thank you so much for all of this it has been so uh just joyful and illuminating and uh i just love you already so i love you too my darling for that you are Um, yeah you're amazing you're a true original i just want you to know that and you're you're you are sublime and you are a leader so yes do that i receive it Okay, Ricky. So for those who we heard Layla Saad's Me and White Supremacy, mm-hmm. which is a wonderful uh, project that I think mm-hmm. everybody should go check out. We also heard, I mean, you dropped A Course in Miracles. You dropped uh, Carolyn Miss. We heard a couple different amazing teachers. We like to share book club with mm-hmm. our listeners. So if you could recommend one or two texts that you think are really spot on for the women who are just just awakening to the path of the modern priestess what would you send them to okay well i'm going to be a complete ego freak and say yeah, this girl. one <laughs> um spiritually fierce is written for the woman awakening to the path of the priestess through her awakening to her innate intuition and i talk about a lot of the things we've covered in there so just purely pragmatically that that's available on amazon it's an audible book um it's it's you know lots of different places you can get that and i would oh look which other book am i going to say 
I think this, the, there are so many, but if you, a really powerful introduction to this work, I think is You Are a Goddess by Sophie Bashford. That's a recent book for, she's a Hay House author. She's based in the UK. Um, she looks at a number of different goddesses from different cultures and places um, on the earth. Um, and it really is a beautiful introduction to uh, the divine feminine in, in, that priestess energy. Um, there's so many more that I could, I'm looking at my bookcases and I'm like, <laughs> um, but I think, you know, those two books are probably a really good introduction and uh, will, I think, demystify a lot of the stuff, these just spiritual wankery and give people a place or a way to claim it for themselves. And where do you reside these days? I'm in Melbourne in Australia. So I, this is my home, but my institute is global. So we have, we, I mean, we literally have students all over the world, including in the US. Um, when we meet, we meet in Bali. So it's nice and easy. Everyone likes going to Bali. So it, that makes life easy. Um, and, you know, we work with a local priestess there and, and we really honor the sacredness of, of the, you know, her work and the work of the uh, spiritual gatekeepers of that place and, and that not just go in and take what we want but actually contribute um what we can and really defer to their to her wisdom and her team um she has an amazing group of women around her that's just a side note <laughs> she's amazing so you have a few different programs through the institute but one is called the third level and this is yes. a 12-month program to train as a clinically qualified intuitive guide and new paradigm priestess and now through november 30th um you're open for interviews right so anybody who's feeling called put your hands <laughs> up, um, go and check this out and i believe the website is intuitive intelligence institute yeah institute for intuitive intelligence.com we'll um, link it in the show notes yeah Perfect. and you can just type in intuitive intelligence and it will come up or third level and it will come up um and can you just give us a quick little besides that wonderful soundbite that i just gave mm. um and I think they'll know, I think we'll know if we're called to this, but what makes this different from some other online course? Um, yeah. yeah. How much access do students have to this fount of wisdom that is you? <laughs> uh, and and, and what, what do you think is really, what is really unique about this program? I love that question. I, for me, I want to mainstream this work. And so it's uh, academic rigor. There, this is, a, you know, a clinically trained assessment based program, you have to complete case studies, you have to complete hours and hours of practice sessions. Uh, you are powerfully scaffolded by me. I'm very hands-on, uh, but you also have a team of mentors who are women who've walked the path, um, including now my mother, who is was invited back into the Institute and she works with tapping specifically. Um, and she's a, an expert in that area. Um, and even though it is an online program, everything is live and we actually have multiple schedules because we do have a global uh, network of women. And it is, it, to me, it is both the, the, the sisterhood, but also the level of mentoring that you receive um, and the requirement for you to step into that right off the bat. So you are assigned a sister right from the beginning and she's in your care. So you're already being that priestess mystic leader right from the beginning all of the work that you do in the program you know many of the women are established spiritual leaders in and established in their fields um is designed to 
be shared right from the beginning. So you don't go, you do go into the temple of the program for your own development, but you're also training in the science of intuition, for example, so that you share it, you, you requirement to publish, requirement to do lives, webinars, and to actually be part of the revolution. Um, you know, we're not just doing this in our caves in private and secret. The difference for me also is this is about contemporary priestesshood, which is not about uh, what we imagine maybe was done in ancient times. We certainly draw on ancient wisdom, but it's the integration of, of this work into the world now as a woman who is making the babies and having a career and, you know, traveling the world and, and doing, doing her life. It's, it's, it makes us more available to the world, not less available. Um, there's no special magic here. It is about devotion and it's about the willingness to go deep. And that deep faith, the deep work of a deep faith is what prevents us from being part of a superficial spiritual bypassing culture and to take personal responsibility. And that's what the priestess does is, you know, she is the symbol of holy power, but she's, she is personally responsible for the state of the world and she knows that and she's not afraid of that okay sold <laughs> all right sign me up okay well beloved listeners thank you guys so much for spending time with us i hope you have been uh just as activated and inspired as i have by this conversation and if you want to connect uh, with Ricky further, you can connect with her on the web and you can also connect with her on Instagram. Uh, she has her personal account, which is, I think just Ricky Jane Adams. Yes. Yeah. All one word. And then also, um, the Institute for intuitive intelligence with, I think is also all one word. Yes. Yes. It's intuitive intelligence Institute on intuitive Instagram because it's too long to read the other way. <laughs> you can click the link in the down bar to go find it. Ricky, thank you so much for your grace and your wisdom and your presence. It is just so wonderful to have spent this time with you. It's my absolute privilege. And we'll see you guys in the next episode. Thank you guys so much for hanging out with me on another episode of Totally Stoked Podcast. If you love this episode, if it impacted you in some way, please grab a screenshot and share it right now to Instagram stories, tag Stoked Yogi, hashtag Totally Stoked Podcast. Each week, we'll grab one listener who shared and send you some Stoked Yogi swag. Also, if you love the show, please subscribe, share it with a friend, or head over to iTunes right now and leave us an honest review. Your support and feedback make this show possible. If you have ideas about how we can improve, please send them to podcast at stokedyogi.com. Until next time, you guys, keep showing up, loving people, telling the truth, and remember, keep living your life totally stoked.